Logical Progression, Year 4, Chapter 14, Lesson 13. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Allahumma salli wa sallim wa barik ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. Allahumma la sahla illa ma ja'altahu sahla wa anta tajlul hazna idha sha'ta sahla. Allahumma a'inna ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa husna ibadatika ya Rabbil Kareem. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Hayyakumullah everybody. Right, so... In this week's lesson, um, I want to get through quite a few things. In terms of pages, it's not much, but there's a lot of to actually discuss, a lot of interesting side points and, uh, you know, different kind of angles. Um, and a few throwbacks to year two, year one, year three as well, in terms of material, which is nice. I think this is one of the lessons where you start to realize why we did it in a logical way, because it shows that we did some work before. And we'll do a quick recap on that. So, um, in the Arabic, I think we kind of just jumped, we just kind of uh, touched upon it, but I'll start it again. The text that we're going to be reading is, وَيُسَنُّ لِسَامِعِهِ مُتَابَعَتُهُ سِرًّا وَحَوْقَلَتُهُ فِي الْحَيْعَلَى Yeah, that's all we're going to cover. Uh, what's it say, Zafar? Is no, no. No, the one below that? It is, um, and it is the sunnah for it the is, one who hears it. It is, the, it is sunnah for the one listening to the adhan to silently, A, repeat what the muaddin says, B, say the hawqala every time they hear the hayyala, <coughs> C, say after the muaddin finishes, oh Allah, Lord Right, so that's, that's fine. We'll cover that next week, inshallah. So just to repeat that again. So it is sunnah. For the one listening. For the one listening. In brackets to the adhan. To, to the silently, adhan. To what? To silently. To silently. A. Repeat what the mu'adhin says. A. Repeat what the mu'adhin says. And then B. To say the hawqala after the hay'ala. That's what inshallah we want to try and cover today inshallah. Okay. So the first one there is. وَيُسَنُّ لِسَامِئِهِ مُتَابَعَتُهُ And it is sunnah for the one who is a sami' The one who is uh, hears the uh, adhan. Um... To mutaba'atuhu, follow it, actually is literally translated, but here it means repeat because we know that this word, even though it means follow linguistically, but technically it means to repeat because of a hadith that we're going to mention now. And the, the Hanbalis, they say that it is sunnah, and not just sunnah, but to do it silently, to do it silently. Now, let me just start with the concept of silence because I'm, I'll forget later on. Um, the principle is silently. The Prophet ﷺ was not known to say it loud. And that's very important because we, we know what he said after the Mu'adzin because the, the companions, they repeated after him. They learned this from him. They heard him repeating the words of the Mu'adzin. What they didn't hear from him though is that him saying it loud like he did many other things loud. So therefore, the Sunnah aspect is to say it silently. However, myself for example, I do it loud oftenly. But I'm a bit different because I do it in order to push someone else to do it. And I often, I'm sitting with people and I see them not repeating after the Mu'addin. And so I will say, when I hear the Mu'addin say, Ashadu an la ilaha illallah, I will say, Ashadu an la ilaha illallah. Just to kind of say, folks, listen, the Mu'addin is 
is uh, 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 you know you're meant to repeat after the mu'adhan. So this is what we call minbab ta'lim. All right, minbab ta'lim means that when you are teaching, then there is some kind of change in uh, in the basic ruling. Now this is very important for you to understand, and it's very sensitive because theoretically it's bid'ah, okay, but technically it's not. Or rather, I should say, theoretically it's bid'ah, but practically it's, it's not. So here what we have, because we don't have a text from the Prophet ﷺ to show that he did it specifically here, where he raised his voice. However, we know that there are certain times where the Prophet ﷺ did raise his voice in other things in order to let people know what he was doing. And so from this kind of, from, uh, on, this, on this kind of level, it is something which is a sunnah uh, in order to... Uh, actually teach the people if they are heedless in uh, you know in that particular moment in that particular scenario uh, there are other examples of that uh, another example would be um, um, uh, yani, uh, there are some fuqaha that say said that salatul janaza should be justified in this manner as well so you'll see and it has some support the four imams are not upon this opinion it's not my personal opinion either I don't like it too much but it is narrated from some of the companions and from some tabi'een that when the imam is doing Salatul Janazah and everyone is standing behind, he will actually recite it loudly. And the idea of reciting it loudly, according to some of those fuqaha, is not just based upon the actions of the companions, but actually they did it in order to teach the people. And so we're doing it to teach the people. It is a slippery slope and that's why I'm going to spend a few minutes on this. Okay, because once you start to justify things, then the door can be opened. So for example, let me give you the... The, let me give you like a bid'ah example a bid'ah example would be you know what people don't know how to make dhikr anymore right they've forgotten how to make dhikr anymore so let's choose a night hey Thursday night sounds good right and let's get you know down the local Brillo Masjid right and uh, let's get in the mood and let's put the lights down to get the ambiance yani nice and we sit down in a circle and then I will say Allah's name and you will repeat it after me and you know what it's better than you doing it by yourself because you don't even really know how to do it yourself and you're getting a bit stuck. Allahu, Allahu, Allahu. And then before, a few seconds later, got the whole room rocking, yani, bismillah, mashallah. And then you know we're right in the middle of it, yeah? So that's the danger and that's what the scholars are always trying to avoid. However, you will often find the example, min babit ta'lim, this, this concept, um, applied, for example, in Quran circles. So in Quran circles, you know, um, there are some people that, 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 that <laughs> and they're a bit strange for, to be honest, and usually people who are fiqhless, bereft of fiqh, yani, um, they complain against circles where Quran is being taught um, in a circle. So, you know, for example, after Fajr, we sit down, you will read, then you will read, then you will read, and the idea is this is bid'ah, this has not happened before, this is from the, not how the companions used to do it, this is, you know, if someone wants to be taught, you teach him directly and whatever. And this is where the nonsense starts to come from. And we'll say, no, actually, uh, you might be technically trying to make a point, or theoretically, but actually, the reason this is being done this way is because those people, they wouldn't do it otherwise. They don't know how to do it. They need the confidence. They need the, to hear their own voice and hear other people and, hear, and be corrected. So, Minbaba Ta'lim will allow this, and because the, 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 the general thing is something which has been mentioned in Hadith, Halaqatul Dhikr, for example, and the Quran is the best of Dhikr, and, 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 and. So, I want you to know that this is a... An interesting aspect of the Sharia, okay? So, of course, to control it and for it to be genuine, it can't be the norm. It can't become the norm. Otherwise, if it becomes a norm, then where's the teaching aspect? Yes? 
teaching aspect is meant to be like a reminder aspect, a teaching aspect. And therefore, that's why in principle, you recite this silently. But if you see an opportunity or a reason, then it's permissible for you to raise your voice slightly in order to remind the other person to do it. Yes? All the time, sorry. All the time, sorry. Believing that it's not actually sunnah to say it loudly. That's the key. Yeah. Very. That's a really. That's a really good question, right? So you know, you go to the umrah, and you know, most of the you know people who go with you on umrah, they're just you know basic kind of layman folks, and they've chosen you as their you know uh, guide, and that's the reason they're there with before you. I mean, <laughs> we're talking two gener- We're talking a generational difference. The old generation, or the previous generation, and their way of thinking, when they go with a Hajj or Umrah guide, they go with him because they expect him to do everything for them. So, you know, they don't know how to revise, or to memorize, or to prepare, or read books, or they don't care for it, they won't go any webinars, won't be going to any seminars, whatever. He's our guide, we'll just tail behind him. When he says, Allahumma kada kada, we'll say, Ameen, Ameen, Ameen. When we go to the each Shiani, Safa and Marwa, we'll watch him, he raises his hands, we'll raise our hands, we'll just say, Ameen, Ameen. There's no, there's no independency, there's, the complete agency is passed over to the, to the guide. And that's the standard with that generation. And you, you can see why, because they've got no hope themselves, they don't know the Arabic, they don't know the Dua, they haven't memorized it, whatever, whatever. Um, the new generation, which is the practicing lot, they use the guide in a completely different way. A completely different way, that if, if, it's been, if, it, if it's been done properly. The guide invests time with those people individually and teaches them whatever can be learned in that particular time. And then also teaches them, for example, what they aren't able to learn, then there are ways to make it up. So for example, okay, you weren't able to memorize that, make the du'a in your own language, for example. You can, at least you can do that, right? And or you can't, okay, then you can follow me and copy me. So there is actually space. There is space for an Umrah guide to make du'a for the people in a certain way, in a certain time, because of the need. Again, what's the rules that we're going to apply here? Not becoming the norm, not done in an organized fashion. It's like there's a big difference for me saying to my guys here in Manchester when we go in a group, right guys, listen, at the first corner, we're going to stop and we're going to make dua together like this. Do you know what I'm saying? There's a massive difference between that and we're going around and there's an old lady crying her eyes out and then her daughter's crying her eyes out and I'm like, what's happening? And they say, we don't know how to make dua. Can you help us with this, whatever? And I say to them, okay, repeat after me. Allahumma atina fi dunya hasana. And they repeat after me slowly and clearly. No problem with that. You have massive difference between the two. Okay, folks, everyone understand that? So, um, so, imam, um, yes, yes. Sorry, so, what about inside the case of, you said, in the Quran circle? So, how would you explain that the Quran Where's the problem? No, no, it's not a problem. It's not a problem. So, 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 what we're talking about here is that the, the example that I gave, which was a problem, became into some kind of you know creature of its own. Whereas the Quran circle was still a very controlled environment. It's not being done in some kind of um, un. Uh, uh, it's not being done in an unrestricted, uh, open fashion. Uh, you know. And I will, I will admittedly say that the line between them is a fine one, fine one, which is why there's difference of opinion on the matter, which is why it's controversial, okay? But uh, like I said, if um, we have a person, uh, we have a group who can't read, who can't read, and I say, 
ذلك الكتاب and everyone says ذلك الكتاب لا ريب فيه and they're literally copying me exactly person could come and say what's going on right and we'd say no this is something which is permissible because this is Danny teaching yeah so teaching is a very important and the whole point I'm trying to make here is that teaching is not the norm it's not what happens 24 hours a day it's not what happens in a person's individual capacity it's not what يعني, becomes the you know the be all and end all and the objective but it should only be used as of and when necessary for teaching which is why I said that when I do this dhikr I do it quietly to myself but if I see a need for it then I will just raise my voice and say la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah so people realize oh yeah I need to say la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah as well now does this extend the general principle where we see I think so and that's the reason I'm spending some time on it so that you understand that this principle is a universal one when it comes to deen and it comes to azkar at specific times for example so you might be and it's not you know some people might say this is going to kill ikhlas it's not killing ikhlas if you are you know if I'm there for example making my uh, tasbih of, of, of uh, the morning for example or azkar masa of the evening for example and I'm with someone who I've been with and for the last few hours Meaning I know they haven't done it. Meaning I know they haven't done it. And I want them to do it. Okay? There's a fine line between the guy who starts raising his voice and say, Alhamdulillah, kada, and he says it, I need to show my man, like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah? Right? There's a big difference between this guy and another guy. And only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can judge that. Okay? Who raises his voice in order to remind the people that, you know, it's time for Adhkar al-Masa or Adhkar al-Sabah, etc., etc. So it is a fine line. Fine line between bid'ah and not fine line between losing ikhlas or not and it's just something that people should be aware of and if, if let's say you have children yes and you're teaching them to pray yes uh, and you cannot answer this immediately later if you prefer but in sujood in yes before, they don't know what to say yes so is it better to teach them outside of the fall or is it acceptable if I'm praying a fall to say yeah that's also a very good question that's also a very good question um, if you didn't hear the question, brother basically said, and when you're teaching children how to pray, um, I mean, the answer to, well, he's asking when it comes to teaching children how to pray, are we allowed to kind of raise our voices in the silent parts of the prayer? Uh, fard, sunnah, is there a difference or not? And this is very good because there's no doubt that a person should be doing it outside of the prayer because the prayer is not meant to be for teaching in principle, especially the obligatory. And then, on top of that, the obligatory prayer is a very restricted act of ibadah where there's very little leniency. Unlike the sunnah prayer, you're allowed to sit down, you're allowed to move a bit, you're allowed to, you know, take a little sip yani, as well. If you're really, really tired, you're allowed to do a few things. I don't want to get yani, too controversial. Yani, okay? But there's lots of uh, hadith, athar, and so on and so forth that show a lot of flexibility. You can, your mom calls you, you can respond to her, say, I'm coming, cut the prayer. Yani, there are many, many ahadith which establish yani, a number of actions. Um, uh, but what I want to say that in principle, a person should not be using the prayer for that. It should be outside. However, if there was a person, if there was a person um, who didn't do, do it, did, missed the opportunities, whatever, uh, should he use obligatory prayer? I think absolutely not. Can he use the voluntary prayer? So he's in ruku' and it's time to nestle, and the kid goes into ruku' as well and says, Subhana Rabbi Al-Azim. Should he say it out loud? Um, I personally... I think that um, no as a teaching tool, no as a teaching tool, but yes, possibly as a certain understanding of the sunnah. What do I mean by that? We know from a number of narrations 
that the Prophet ﷺ, when he used to pray the obligatory prayer, the obligatory prayer, he would say Malikyum. Like this. You would hear a sound partial part of one of the words of an ayah. And the ulama they differed. Is this a sunnah that he wants us to follow? Muslim said no. Is it an indication to the crowd of where he is in order for you to catch up? Some said, yeah. Is it yani, something for people to really kind of like uh, 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 to teach them that this is what I was reciting or this is what you should recite in the Fajr, second rakah, whatever. So there's a khilaf on this. There's a difference of opinion upon this. I'm saying that it is possible maybe to use something like that to maybe remind but because you're using it in a very specific way, which is to teach, yani, I think it might, there might be some space to use this in the Sunnah prayer. There might be. I'm very hesitant because it smells of bid'ah. And I wouldn't do it myself. I wouldn't do it for myself. I would say to myself, my deficiency should not be blamed on and lead to the Sunnah and the obligatory prayer being affected. It's my deficiency. My kids deserve more time than I'm saying, you know what, I never had the time to teach them the prayer. You know what I'm saying? So, however, if they're praying and I'm not praying, then that's no problem. Me telling them to say, you know, say, Subhana Rabbi al Subhana. I mean, Pakistan do that all the time. Mums talk to us during our prayer all the time. My mom, all my life, talked to me through my prayer. Unbelievable. I'd be there praying, mum would walk in, she goes, yeah, yeah, what kind of prayer is that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mum would have bad conversations, I'm taking it straight. Mum would, I'd be praying in a room, she goes, I like a rashiba khurat lakataka. When you finish, come downstairs for dinner. Gasme, that's what she would do all the time. Wallah. Even, 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 even now, even now, if I really think about it, even now, she comes to my library and I'm there working and I'm praying. She will say that to me. She will say, Alaka, I'm, I'm going. You know? <laughs> I, I think that's allowed. We'll come to that as well. We'll, we'll show some examples of that in the uh, Sunnah as well. Hand up there, can I see? No? Okay. All right. Sheikh uh, Uthameen, he mentions that the word Sunnah here, okay, that's being used, it is Sunnah. And I left it as Sunnah. I didn't translate it as recommended. And I didn't translate it for, as recommended for a reason because... Um, Sheikh Uthameen, he, he wants to explain something. He goes, when you see the word sunnah, it has two main meanings. And we covered this before. It, has, it is either the technical meaning of اصطلاح عند الفقهاء أو وإطلاق شرعي في لسان الشارع. يعني, it is either in the definition of the jurists. And what is the definition of sunnah with the jurists? What's the juristic definition of sunnah? What's the juristic definition of sunnah? Or I can put that a different way. What's the legal definition of sunnah? The recommended act which is uh, rewarded if learning or not punished if not learning. Very good. مَا يُثَابُ فَاعِلُهُ وَلَا يُعَاقِبُ تَارِكُهُ Okay? So the one who does it is rewarded, but the one who leaves it is not punished. Alright? We've done that many times. That's the definition of sunnah according to the legal definition, the fuqaha. Then there is the definition of sunnah in the sharia. 
in the system of Islam. What does that? What's that definition? Anyone want to have a shot? What do you think? Uh, go on, Prophet saying. Yeah, that, that, uh, that, that, that's, that's exactly where we want to go. So, uh, Sheikh Uthameen says, "Fasunnah fi lisan al-shari' in the in the eyes of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, in the eyes of the law, in the law, in the eyes of uh, the whole system of Islam. Here it is." الطريقة التي شرعها الرسول صلى الله عليه وسلم سواء كانت واجبة يعاقب تاركها أم لا. So literally translated, it is the way which has been legislated by the Messenger صلى الله عليه وسلم. It is the way which has been legislated um, by the Messenger صلى الله عليه وسلم, regardless whether the act within it. Is obligatory, which one would be punished for if they left it, regardless or not of whether the act therein or acts therein are obligatory, which you would be punished for if you left it. Let me say that again. Well, I don't know why I can't say it again because I'm making it up as I go along. But uh, it's the way I think it's the way which was legislated by the Messenger, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Regardless of whether acts therein, obligatory acts therein, which one would be punished for if they left it. I don't even know what happened to that definition, to be honest. That went upside down. But anyway, you got the point, right? Someone must have written it down first time, no? Yeah. In other words, if you just want me to explain it, it's very easy. It's everything which the Prophet ﷺ came with. Everything which the Prophet ﷺ came with, which he legislated for us. That's called the Sunnah. This is the big word, the Sunnah. Okay? That's the big word, the Sunnah. So, for example, we say it's a Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ to get married. Or it's a Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ to get divorced. And these are like just ways of the Prophet. But people get confused on whether... It has, are you talking about the legal meaning? Are you saying obligatory or not? So what we're saying is that when you use this word sunnah in this way, it includes obligatory actions as well. Let me give you some examples. Shaykh Al-Dami gives him some example. He says, um, Hadith Anas, radiallahu an, Hadith Nait about Bukhari and Muslim, is, مِنَ السُنَّةِ إِذَا تَزَوَّجَ الْبِكْرَةِ عَلَى الثَّيِّبِ أَقَامَ عِنْدَهَا سَبْعَةِ That it is from the sunnah, that if one marries a virgin, or if a virgin is married, if a virgin is married as opposed to a thayyib, which for the purposes of um, for the purposes of this hadith is a non-virgin, okay. So if a virgin is married as opposed to a non-virgin, she gets seven days. Seven days. This is talking about uh, the uh, nights, the marital nights. She gets more. The virgin gets more than a non-virgin, and. I think that we spoke and I asked uh, Widad to send me the section that we covered in year two and um, to make it very clear what the thayyib is. You remember we discussed this and it came up recently as well. And I want to make it very clear again as well that the word thayyib is the one technically is a virgin, has not had intercourse. Uh, sorry, the word thayyib is the one who has had intercourse, okay? Um, but, uh, or, or I should say, sorry, 
the one who has lost their virginity, lost their virginity. That's much much more accurate. Not 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 intercourse. Not uh, had intercourse. However, that's such a general definition as per the Hanabila, the Shafi'is, and so on and so forth. Um, actually, the majority, to be honest, uh, that it does has that's caused some problems. For example, if there is rape, then technically a person is now a thayyib. You see, that's the, like one of the problems. Um, and also I want to say that even the fuqaha, they hear virginity is not necessarily actual proper intercourse either. What, what do I mean by that? I mean that when it comes to the sharia, when a man and woman get married, okay, um, the marriage has almost two levels of consummation. An actual consummation and like a pseudo-consummation. So the actual consummation of course is intercourse, it's yani, actual relations, yeah? But pseudo-consummation, which we call duhul, and duhul, of course, means intercourse, right? So it means entering upon. It means literally to enter upon. So it obviously makes sense that it means intercourse. However, duhul technically can also mean when one enters into a room. And once that door is closed, the windows are closed, whatever, no one knows now what's happened, there's absolute privacy, and there is now absolute isolation between a man and a woman, then in this particular scenario, we have what you might call pseudo-consummation. Yep. And they are treated, or the woman will be treated like, yani she is now thayyib, regardless of whether there is actual contact or not, or whatever. And it, this is a big subject we could talk about in its right time. But I just want to make you aware that the word thayyib is not as easy as you might think, and it's not as clear as you may think. My personal opinion is the position of Abu Hanifa and Imam Malik, or when it comes to who the thayyib is. I believe that the thayyib is not someone who has had intercourse, rather has had intercourse via a valid marital contract. A valid marital contract. When I say marital contract, like I mentioned when you go back to your notes for year two, and it's online, everything's there, okay, um, you will see that what we mean by valid marital contract is not an Islamic sahih contract with two witnesses and fathers, blah, blah, blah. What we mean is that a contract where the man and the woman willingly entered into it. So a Christian contract is acceptable. A facet contract, meaning a, a invalid contract, is acceptable. Does that make sense? When I say valid, I what I what I want to what I want to what I want to say is that an intentional kind of marital contract. That's what I should say instead of saying valid. Yeah, and it, meaning the two parties agreement from both sides, from both sides that co- that creates a contract, regardless if it's Islamic or Buddhist or whatever. It doesn't matter. That's why, as I mentioned last time, in the Sharia, if there are two non- two non-Muslims and they are married and they both convert, we do not make them do the nikah again, because Islam recognizes previous contracts. Okay, so they agreed upon to marry each other according to Christian law, and they got married. We now keep them maintained in marriage as well. Yeah, um, there's no reason to break it. So, uh, and that's very important because then. From our point of view, if there was a case of rape, for example, then we would not uh, 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 we would not say this woman has lost her virginity as such. That's the point. So it's not a non-virgin. Thayyib isn't non-virgin. That's why I said, Yani. That's why I said I think right at the beginning for the hadith, just put down non-virgin, <laughs> even though the word thayyib has a huge. It's a huge fiqh behind the word thayyib, huge, huge Yani discussion linguistically islamically everything 
I don't want to go into that because we, we discussed that before. Everyone can go back to the notes. So the, the main point here is that Mina Sunnah, it is from the Sunnah. Anas ibn Malik said, this hadith noted by Bukhari and Muslim, it is from the Sunnah that when you marry a virgin uh, uh, over a, a non virgin, that she gets to stay with you for seven days. And that's more than the Thayyib who only gets three days. Okay? And this Sunnah, by the way, it means obligation. There's a consensus of the scholars that the sunnah in the, in the, that's being used in, by Anas actually is obligation because we know that if a virgin gets married she gets obligatory seven days. Okay? Obligatory seven days. Okay? Just, by the way, if you're, if you're getting confused and thinking, hold on, I don't get it, Yanni. does that mean my honeymoon's only seven days or whatever? We are talking about, I should have said this at the beginning to be fair, we are talking about a polygamous situation. Does that make sense? Meaning that he already has a couple of wives and you know that there has to be an equal distribution of wives, etc., etc. And so, you know, every couple of days you're expecting husband to come home. The only time he's not allowed to come home or doesn't have to come home if he gets married, Yanni, Bismillah, mashallah. In this particular scenario. That's what I'm trying to say. Does that make sense, Yanni? Yeah? I hope it makes sense. Right. And we also had the hadith of Ibn Zubair, Abdullah ibn Zubair radiallahu anhuma, min it is from the sunnah to put the right hand on top of the left hand in the prayer. It is from the sunnah to put the right hand upon the left hand in the prayer. Okay? Um, again, a hadith which is uh, sahih. What does sunnah here mean? Recommended. Mustahab. So we've used the word sunnah twice in two hadith. In the first one, it means obligatory. In the second one, it means mustahab. An illustration that the word sunnah, when it's used in this sense, as it is the way of the Prophet, the way of the Prophet includes, when we say the way of the Prophet, sunnah is the way of the Prophet, that includes obligatory and mustahab actions. You happy with that, folks? Yeah? Okay. Then. Uh, okay, uh, let's, uh, let's move on. So it is sunnah for the sami', the one who hears, to repeat after the mu'adhin. This includes males and females, young and old. It includes the first mu'adhin and the second mu'adhin. It doesn't matter whether you did the adhan or not. So for example, if you're the guy who did the first fajr mu'adhan, it doesn't mean that when you hear the adhan from the second guy an hour later, that you don't do it. it you, he, you do it as well. Okay? Um, everyone does it. And you know what? Uh, uh, don't forget that this is dhikr This is a dhikr And why do we do this by the way? We do this because of the hadith narrated by uh, Imam Muslim And it is sahih Because the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said إِذَا سَمِعْتُمُ الْمُؤَذِّنِ فَقُولُ مِثْلَ مَا يَقُولُ إِذَا سَمِعْتُمُ الْمُؤَذِّنِ فَقُولُ مِثْلَ مَا يَقُولُ When you hear the mu'adhin Then say exactly what he says مثل Say what he says Say exactly what he says This is the hadith Therefore, it is a very clear statement. Now, what does this kind of hadith indicate? What does the statement qulu indicate? Say. What does the word say indicate in the sharia? That's a command. Command. It's a command. Okay? So it would indicate obligation. And that's why the zahiri madhab, the literalists, okay, they consider it obligatory to repeat after the mu'adhin. However, the four imams, as the Hanbalis have said here, that um, uh, 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 here the, the, the four imams they are very clear that it is a sunnah why is it a 
sunnah, a number of evidences. Um, the first one is uh, the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu again narrated by Muslim, that the muaddin he gave, the Prophet sallallahu heard the muaddin give the adhan, and the Prophet sallallahu said, "Al fitra." This person is upon, or what has been said is upon our fitra. Yani this ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, or la ilaha illallah, it's a tawheed of our fitra. Instead of responding, he made a separate statement, which indicates that it wasn't obligatory for him to actually repeat after the mu'azzim. Okay? So that's very, very clear. Alright? Um, now, Sheikh Uthameen says, it has not been narrated from him that he actually responded to the adhan, repeated after the uh, mu'adhin in this particular hadith or, any, or, or in, in this particular incident. And he goes that if it was obligatory, it is absolutely impossible for the Prophet to not say it. It's as simple as that. It's a very simple kind of game, this. If he doesn't say, it's not obligatory. If he says it, Yani is an indication that he is he is yani, uh, indicating that it's obligatory as per the original statement. Sheikh Uthameen, he mentions a point and he says, actually, as far as, and that's, that's the evidence used by the majority of scholars. He goes, with me, I think I've got another evidence which, to be honest, is even more obvious. He goes, yani asrah min zalik. He goes, more clearer than that. And that's the hadith which we've used already before, the hadith of Malik ibn al um, This, uh, If you remember the hadith, where the Prophet ﷺ was visited by Malik ibn Muhawirith, and he's, a, he's part of a group of, of envoys. They've come from quite far away, and they've traveled to meet the Prophet ﷺ. They've stayed with him for a, a, a while, nine days or whatever, and they've started to learn their deen, ask lots of questions, this, that. Prophet ﷺ has taught them everything, everything, deen, left, right, center. And then, as you know, when they, he were leave, when they were leaving, what did he say to them? He gave them the advice of what to do on the way, isn't it, right? And so when, he was, when they were leaving, he, he said, إِذَا حَضْرَةِ الصَّلَاةِ فَلْيُعَذِّنْ لَكُمْ أَحَدُكُمْ ثُمَّ لِيُؤَمَّكُمْ أَكْبَرُكُمْ um, When the prayer time comes, then let one of you make the adhan. Remember I used this hadith last time to say that it's only obligatory for one person? Because he said, let one of you make the adhan. Okay? And let, let the eldest of you lead the other one in the prayer. So the, let one of you make the adhan. And let the eldest one from you lead in the prayer. Uh, Sheikh Uthameen, he makes an important point. He goes, this is an evidence that it is not obligatory to repeat what the Mu'addin says. And he, this is what he says. وَوَجْهُ dalala. He goes, the, the, the understanding of how to... He goes, وَجْهُ dalala. This is an important phrase that you need to know in studying fiqh. Yani, how am I... How, where am I getting my indication? What we call istidlal. The dalil, the, the evidence... Dalil, we've said this before, in Arabic language it means something which leads to something, right? So, the Dalil is meant to lead you to a certain conclusion. So we call it Dalil evidence. So the Dalil is a guide. It's guiding you. How do you take the lesson from it? It's like data. How do you now understand something? This is called Istidlal. Yani, istidlal means that I, 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 you know... What's the word I'm looking for? A what? Extracted. Exactly, that's the exact word. That's exactly, exactly what I'm looking for. How do I extract the ruling? How do I extract it? And, and, and when an alim, when you read if we study fiqh, when you read the books of the fuqaha, they will always say, well, he goes, the entry point into how to understand this issue is that 
this particular situation, what you're seeing, and this statement, what you're seeing, is completely a state, a, 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 a moment of teaching. A moment of teaching. From the time he arrived until the time that he left, they came only to learn. They knew nothing else. That's why they stayed for nine days. The Prophet ﷺ has to tell them the most important things. He knows he's not going to see them again. And he's not going to because it's not permissible upon the Prophet ﷺ to intentionally leave obligatory actions out. He has to tell them everything that's going to get them on their way. He goes that it is no doubt that you have to tell everything that there will be a need for. He goes, this is a group of envoys. They weren't with the Prophet ﷺ in his normal day-to-day life when they see him repeating what the Mu'adhan says. So it makes even more sense to tell people who are not part of my hometown, who are watching me every day, repeating after the Mu'adhan, that by the way, when you make the Adhan, the other one should repeat after him. And therefore, um, it is clear that it is not uh, 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 obligatory. I think this is very good. Sorry, I said, I said nine days. 20 days they stayed with him. لَبِثُوا عِنْدَهُ عِشْرِينَ يَوْمًا That was all. That would also indicate that it is sunnah sah, meaning it's not obligatory. Just to play back your statement upon you. You're saying so. Say it again. You're saying that we're assuming in twenty days they didn't see it. No, I mean let's say they did see it. They did hear it. You mean? They did hear it. Yep. Is it, is it a requirement that he says every single thing? I mean, he says, Aqeem as-salat, right? Is that inherently going to include? So, 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 yeah. Yeah, then we'll include the repeat. You know, it's not like, I don't see how that's an evidence against it being a good So, let me, let, me, let me put it a different way. What did we rule on the adhan? The sunnah. Yet yeah, he told them that they have to do it, yes? Yeah. Right? And yet the thing that people are trying to claim is obligatory, he didn't tell them to do? No. That's the way that it would look. You know what I'm saying? That's, that, that's, that's the way that Sheikh that, 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 uh, is making this point. Okay? Wallahu a'lam. Um, question. It's sunnah. Yep, yeah, we, we've accepted that. It's sunnah to do it. It's not obligatory. But how important is it? I want to say to you, it's very, very important. It's very, very important. And in fact... Um, no, I'm talking about the, repeat, the repeating after... Uh, uh, the Mu'adhin Shaykh Rathameen mentions this as well and he says subhanAllah you know this hadith of repeating after the Mu'adhin even though it's like a command it's an immense mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because as we've spoken about already before the one who gives the adhan is a person of really high value and huge reward because of huge sacrifice and effectively uh, and, and they will get that reward and I spoke about that in the first lesson about Yom Al-Qiyamah and how they're protected and 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 and, and. And as Shaykh Uthameen says, he goes, SubhanAllah, it's almost like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala out of his mercy wants to spread the blessings to everyone. And so everyone gets the reward of the Mu'adhin simply by repeating after the, what the, uh, repeating after the Mu'adhin says. And that, that's why, you know, when we have the situation, for example, when a person is um, uh, uh, reading Quran, for example, you see this question asked a lot. I'm reading the Quran and I hear the, uh, the Adhan go. Yes? So should I finish reading my Quran, my ayah, my page, or should I uh, repeat after the Mu'adhan? 
And Imam Nawawi answered this question and he said this is a position of the Shafi'i Madhab and it's actually a position of the majority of the scholars. And that is that, um, what's the best of the Qur'an? Quran. What is the recitation of a repeat, repeat, repetition of the Adhan? No, no, what is it? Dhikr. What is more important? Quran. What's more rewarded and so on? Quran. Is there another rule that we can use? So the answer seems obvious, right? Both are dhikr, yes? Quran is dhikr, adhan is dhikr, yes? Right, we've agreed on that. We also agreed on a second question, which was what's better? And we all agreed that the Quran is the best of all dhikr compared to anything else. So the answer is very simple, isn't it? A person should continue reading the Quran. Is that correct? No, not necessarily. Okay. Someone put your hand up and have a go, yeah? You keep quiet? So this is, this is telling us that it is sunnah to repeat after the mu'adhan. That's fine. But we're not talking about a very specific scenario. You're actually reciting the Qur'an when you hear the adhan. Yeah. I think you, anyway you can uh, stop reading the Qur'an and start again later after the prayer. Yet there is one adhan only. Excellent. Five a day, so Correct. Jazakallah This is a really important principle to understand in our sharia. And it's one which honestly... Even though it's so super obvious, 99.9% of Muslims don't know it, don't get it, don't understand it. This principle, actually, if you understand it, will make people understand uh, many, many other issues and also avoid them making really silly, silly questions and statements. You know? Um, you know, a lot of people, for example, you know, you know the concept of shame grenades? A shame grenade. Yani, this kind of what, we, what they call, this is like a ta'bir, it's like a phrase in our Western kind of Muslim construct, which is, which is indicating this kind of fake, not fake, but these kind of yani, irreligious, irreligious acts of religiosity. For example, I will, uh, uh, you know, mention, I don't know, um, Yeah, okay. I will say, let's make dua for the people in, of, in Turkey today because of a bomb. And they'll say, they'll say, why didn't you say that for Palestine? This is very, very common. Muslims do it day and night. Why didn't you say it for Syria? Whatever. I might say, for example, Eid Mubarak. They might say, I don't know, I don't know what they might say. I'm, I'm just trying to think of some good examples, but they, people do this all the time. Uh, no, no, that, that, that's a legal discussion. That's something different. It's they're trying to shame you. They're trying to shame you. Oh, like the Muslims are not happy in Rome. Yeah, that's a good one. Exactly. That's, that's a very good one. In fact, that's exactly what I was thinking of, but I couldn't express it. So, Yani, you're saying, Eid Mubarak, and you, and you, you know, you show your family eating food and everyone's happy, and they'll say, you know, the Muslims in Burma are starving and they haven't had this food in one year. Yani, shame on you. You see? This inability to understand the Sharia in all of its multidimensional nature. Do you understand? And it all actually comes back to this point. This very small, tiny point is the key which unlocks it. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about this in Surah Tawbah, for example, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that, Did you make, Did you make the 
giving of water to the Hujjaj, the same as the one those who believe in Allah and His Messenger, and they give their lives in jihad fi sabilillah, they're not the same with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, we know that actually the opposite of that is the case, that jihad is by far the greatest act in the Sharia, reward, this, that, whatever. So what's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala trying to indicate? Well, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is indicating what this the whole deen indicates is that there are times and places. And so at the time of hajj, hajj is the biggest obligation. Outside the time of hajj, XYZ is the biggest obligation. In the time of Ramadan, XYZ is obligation. Yani, we need to understand that those that are time restricted, then we give them a higher focus because of time restricted. And those that and also scenarios and places. So a person who is, for example, in a Muslim land, yani reading Quran, does not get the same reward as the one in non-Muslim lands, in non-Muslim environment, on a non-Muslim break, a non-Muslim company, pulling out the Quran and reading it, reminding himself, protecting himself, giving doubt to the people around, then wondering what's going on. You're going to put these guys on the same pedestal. You're ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yani, so what I'm trying to say is that it's very important to understand that in the Sharia, when there are time-restricted moments, they take the priority, especially when compared to something which is not time-restricted. So as Abdul Abbas had said, you pause the Quran, you can go back to that. Whereas the adhan's gone, you might not hear another one at another time. And so you respond after the adhan, and that is the better act to do, even though the dhikr is less quality compared to the Quran. Is that clear, everybody? Yeah. Just to carry on and extending, extend that principle, if you hear the adhan on the phone, uh, what do you think? You don't repeat. Because? You don't repeat it. Why? <coughs> because it's not the adhan. It's not real. It's recorded, it's not real. Um, likewise, if you hear the adhan at a time where it's not for the prayer, okay, it's not a legitimate adhan, like what you might hear on your phone or whatever, likewise you don't. What about on a TV or radio? It's live? Live, correct. If it's live on the TV and radio? Is it, do you not need to hear it by yourself? That's the question. If it's on TV or radio, what do you think? I would say yes. Why would you say yes? Yep. What is a TV and, a, and an internet and whatever? And that's the correct answer. It's the correct answer. You listening to a person live, it doesn't matter if there's a delay, it doesn't matter how far away you are, it's a human voice, a human person doing it live at the right time, then you are, yani, uh, you will get rewarded for repeating after that person, and it's like a legal act. Even if uh, you watch, let's say, Mecca? Yeah. And now that doesn't make sense, does it? Someone from Canada just asked the same question. Huh? Someone from Canada just <laughs> asked the same question, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's good, right? Because, you know, in LP here, we used to have that, right? We have that in LP when we do our, you know, lessons in a couple of months' time. By the way, remember everyone, here, everyone, and especially online, that the times now change, okay? And it's very important that you go to the portal and look at the time schedule. Next week, the lesson's going to be at 8, 10 p.m., 10 past 8. <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> I just, I thought, for some reason I thought I just said 10 p.m. I didn't say I said 8, 10 p.m. But I just felt like I said 10 p.m. for some reason. 8, 10 is next week's lesson. Okay. And today it was 8, 20. So just that for the people who are abroad, um, remember that on, on Sunday, our hour goes forward. forward. Yeah. 
<laughs> I, I will become a hundred years old and I will never work out what it does. Yeah. So just yani, the hour goes forward on, on Sunday. And um, what that means is the following. It means next week's lesson is at 8.10. And then every week there on for the next couple of months, the lesson is exactly 25 minutes after Maghrib prayer. So we'll obviously come here for Maghrib. And it will be 25 minutes after the Maghrib prayer until, until it gets too late. Then we'll change it. So everyone abroad, everyone abroad, okay, you look and either you calculate what the Maghrib time is in Manchester and then you add 25 minutes at the time what the lesson will start. Or just go to the portal and you see the times that the lesson will start. We'll have it calculated for every single week, inshallah. Okay. Um, now, so the, the, the point is a good, the good one. When we have those lessons, we often hear the adhan for Isha, isn't it? Whilst we're in the thingy. Now, we are all repeating what the Mu'addin is saying. Should they honor? It is not yani, prayer time for them. They are hearing a person live. Yeah? Allah Alam. I think a person repeats it. I think they get rewarded for saying the dhikr. I think they'll get rewarded for saying the dhikr. Even though that that's not a prayer adhan for them. Yani, it's almost that they have got a legitimate reason to repeat and make the dhikr. But they don't have a legitimate use for that adhan. No, because the adhan has an intention. There has to be an intention behind the adhan. Okay? Um, what else can we say? There's also another evidence, subhanAllah, that is not... Uh, 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 there are a number of evidences, but I mean, we have only got so much time. Um, in the Muwatta of Mamalik, Mamalik's hadith collection, Sayyidina Umar bin Khattab, when he came out to give the khutbah, um, you know what happens when the uh, imam comes and gives a khutbah, he sits upon the member, and then it's sunnah for the mu'adhin then to give the adhan. And so the companions were there, and uh, one of the narrators, he said that the mu'adhin came, and he gave the adhan, and everyone's still talking. The companions still talking throughout the adhan. And then as soon as Umar stood up, then they were completely silent. Indicating, indicating that it is not obligatory to repeat after the mu'adhin. However, I just want to say, I just want to say that these evidences do not suggest, do not ex- conclusively prove that a person isn't actually repeating after the mu'adhim. Yeah, they're not yani, conclusively saying that. And I just want to give you a reminder, you know, even though it's not part of the text, and Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he said, and I'll, I'll say the hadith in Arabic, uh, and then I'll read it in English. Uh, and it's noted by Sahih Muslim. This is a reminder for myself and yourself of why we should repeat after the Mu'adhin. Uh, noted by my Muslim on the authority of Anumir ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu qala, qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, idha qala al-Mu'adhin, if the Mu'adhin says, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, faqala ahdukum, and then one of you was to say, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, in repeating, thumma qala ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, so he said that, and you said that, he said that, then you said that. Then he said, and you said that. And then he heard him say, La ilaha illallah. And then you said, La ilaha illallah. Qala La ilaha illallah min qalbihi dakhala al jannah. If he said that sincerely for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he would enter paradise. It's a mighty hadith. 
It's a mighty hadith. Easy, easy, easy. Ajar to Jannah. That's all you have to do. Hadith is narrated by Sahih Muslim. So in summary, repeating after the Mu'addin when he makes his adhan, and then saying, La hawla wa la illa billah, when he says, Hey Allah, Salah, Hey Allah, Salah, Hey Allah, Salah, Hey Allah, Salah, you do that for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, la sum'a wa la riya, no yani showing off, no thing, you do it from his, his heart, then he will enter paradise, as the statement of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. A few questions. Um, when you hear the adhan, right? That's what you said, right? إِذَا سَمِعْتُمْ إِذَا When you hear the adhan, إِذَا سَمِعْتُمُ الْمُؤَذِّنِ فَقُولُوا مِثْلَ مَا يَقُولُ When you hear the mu'adhin, when you, when, إِذَا When you hear the mu'adhin, then say what he has said. You're on a toilet. What happens? It is forbidden to make zikr upon the toilet. Good. Okay. It, it, so first of all, first of all, the hadith makes it very clear that in every single situation you need to repeat. That's the that's the that's the asl. The exception is if you are on the toilet, because we know that it's not permissible to make the dhikr upon the toilet. Okay. Um, what about in salah? You're praying. I mean, you can do it after salah, but then you're not fulfilling the, fulfilling the hadith, are you? The hadith says that when you hear it, okay, very good, good. So, so we have our brother saying that you can't say it then. You need to say it afterwards because the Prophet ﷺ reprimanded the person who said Allah Okay, to who? A sneezer who was. Praying, who said, Alhamdulillah. Is that clear? The Prophet criticized, yani told someone off, yani for saying, Yarhamukallah. I shouldn't say criticized because he did it, and even telling off is not right because he taught him an amazing lesson. But we do that in Sahih, we do that in Fiqh Salah, don't we? A person, he said, Yarhamukallah to another person who said, who, who said Alhamdulillah after he sneezed in the prayer. And therefore the brother is saying, there's proof that you can't speak in the prayer. Yep. Also, there's a hadith which is more clear than that. Hadith which is narrated by Bukhari. Where Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu an. The hadith states that the, that the, the, the companions often used to give salam, upon the Prophet, salam to the Prophet He'd be praying, they'd walk in, Asalaamu Alaikum, and you know, and in some narrations, the Prophet ﷺ would indicate with his hand, Walaikum Salam. Not saying anything, but he would indicate with his hand, indicate with his finger, yani like this, like this, indicating that I have accepted your salam, but you don't speak. Anyway, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud in Bukhari, he says that we, we came back from uh, uh, seeing, uh, being with Najashi, Najashi, the Negus of Abyssinia, okay? Uh, the Negus of Abyssinia, of course, they went there to seek refuge. This is the first hijrah, of course. So this is whilst they were still in Mecca, and you know things got really bad. You know, Amar bin Yasir torture this that. You know, Prophet said, "No problem, get out." So they all went, okay, a big group, and they heard, of course, on the grapevine that the mushrikeen they had started to worship Allah subhanahu wa taala. So they came back, 
they came back to Mecca and it wasn't actually the case. There was still major yani, problems. Anyway, the Prophet ﷺ was praying. They entered upon, he said, I entered upon the Prophet ﷺ and I said to him, Assalamu alaikum, and he did not respond to me. And then after the Prophet, after the prayer had finished, he turned to me and he said, Inna fi salati shughla. Inna fi salati shughla. I've translated this hadith and I'm very proud of my translation, by the way. Bismillah, masha'Allah. There's work to do in the prayer. What a shot. There's work to do in the prayer. Translate it literally. You're an Arab. Translate it literally. Yeah. I would have said that the prayer occupies a person. Okay. No, translate it literally. Indeed, in the prayer is work. Indeed, in the prayer, even work, shughla, is occupation. Okay. That is the literal translation. Indeed, in the prayer is occupation. That's actually correct. That's a literal translation. But I don't like literal translations. Okay? I like translating by meaning. As long as you don't yani, add something haram to it. I, tra- I translated it as that there's work to do in the prayer. And the reason I did that is because my translation indicates what the Prophet ﷺ wants to express. Because why did he say that? I'm busy. You're giving me salam and you want me to respond to you. Not only am I busy, but I'm busy with some serious stuff here. I'm talking to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, requesting stuff from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, having to work on my khushua, having to yani, count my tasbih. There's work to do. I'm busy. But I can't write I'm busy because the way that the sentence has been structured. Actually, the other riwayah is la shughla. Yani, a lot of work to do, yani. You know? Tawqeed, yani. Emphasis. So, I think there's work to do in the prayer. I think it's good. It's good. But it's a beautiful hadith. And the point is, is that the Prophet ﷺ did not respond. And that's why a number of the scholars, they said that you do not respond to the mu'adhin in the salah because you're busy or you're meant to be busy. Is that clear? Right. Ibn Taymiyyah, Shaykh Hussain ibn Taymiyyah, he said no. Bal yutabi al-musalli al-mu'adhina. No, the one who is praying, he does follow the mu'adhin because of the general recommendation of yani, say what the mu'adhin is saying. And also, number one, so he's giving the reasons, Ibn Taymiyyah. Number one, you're responding to the command, the general command. Number two, it is dhikr. And if there is a dhikr, wujida sababahum fi salah, fakana mashru'a. Very important point that Ibn Taymiyyah makes. He goes, if there is a dhikr, which its reason is to be found, whilst you're in the prayer, then it itself becomes legislated. Now that's a big statement, and Ibn Taymiyyah is the giant Everest, and I'm like Yani, the flat pavement. So I can't even say I'm a hill. Uh-huh. Yani, good. I'm a hole, Yani, okay? <laughs> so not even the flat, I'm the, the, the ditch in the street, yeah? But I think there's a problem with this statement. I think there's a problem with this statement, okay? Um, he goes, because he gives an example to prove his point, right? Let me translate what he said. He goes, number two, it is a dhikr and its reason was found in the prayer, so therefore it becomes legislated. Its reason was found in the prayer, therefore it becomes legislated. That's what he said, yes? Yes? His example is as follows. Kama, law'ata sal musalli. 
فَإِنَّهُ يَحْمِدُ اللَّهَ كَمَا جَاءَتْ بِهِ أَسُنَّةِ For example, just like a person when he is a praying and he sneezes and he says Alhamdulillah, as we know from the Sunnah. Now, what is this from the Sunnah, by the way? This is a hadith of Rafi' ibn Rifa'ah, radiallahu an. Okay, let me read to you this hadith. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, sorry, um, Rifa'ah, radiallahu an, this hadith narrated by Imam At-Tirmidhi and Abu Dawood and Nasai. It was considered authentic by some of the scholars, okay? Rifa'a, uh, he said, I prayed behind the message of Allah sallam, and I sneezed. And I said, Alhamdulillah. I, I said, Alhamdulillah, yani hamdan kathiran tayyiban mubarakan fi. Yani praise be to Allah, much good and blessed praise as our Lord loves and is pleased with. And when the Messenger, when the messenger of Allah وسلم, had finished praying, he said, Who is the one who spoke during the prayer? And no one said anything. Then he said, Second time, no one said anything. And then he said, The third time, he said, It was me, Ya Rasulullah. What did you say? I said, Alhamdulillah, much good and blessed praise. Hamdan tayyiban mubarakan fi, as our Lord loves and is pleased with. And the Messenger of Allah said, By the one in whose hand is my soul, 30 odd angels competed to see which of them would take it up. 30 odd angels competed to see which of them would take it up. Now tell you what's interesting, that there are a number of versions of this hadith, and the one in Bukhari mentions two very key differences, big differences. Anyone know what the differences are? No? No? That wouldn't be a key difference, would it? Two significant differences. Anyone? Huh? When you say stick it up. Huh? When they, when they the angel, uh, no, 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 no. Significant differences. Sneezing. No sneezing. No sneezing. Good. Number one. No sneezing. And I think you got it. Yeah. Getting up from Rukua. Well done. Okay. So this is what, why this hadith is interesting. Uh, the hadith of Bukhari was he, no sneezing was mentioned. And secondly, when he was standing up. Some of the fuqaha, they said there's no contradiction between the two. Maybe he did sneeze when he was standing up. So there's some discussion, Yani, about this hadith. All right. The point is this, the point is this, is that Ibn Taymiyyah, and the majority of scholars accept this, by the way, I think I wrote down the fuqaha. Now, the three imams, okay, uh, Malik, Ahmed, and uh, Shafi'i, they said that it is, uh, it is obligatory to say Alhamdulillah even when in a prayer, but it has to be done quietly, okay? Alright? However, however, based upon this hadith and the other hadith like it, however, we know that it is impermissible for a person to say, Allah when he responds to the one who says, Alhamdulillah, that's why I have a problem with what Ibn Taymiyyah said. And that's why I think even Shaykh Uthameen, although he doesn't mention it, Ibn Taymiyyah, I think Shaykh Uthameen also has a problem with what Ibn Taymiyyah said. Because Ibn Taymiyyah is trying to say that if the reason for a dhikr is found in the prayer, then it becomes legislated. Well, is Allah dhikr or not? Alright. Is if someone says in the prayer, Alhamdulillah, a reason that has been found within the prayer? Is it not? Is it not dhikr? Isn't dua dhikr? Dua is the best of dhikr. Of course. Of course. No, it's a different type of dhikr. 
this is maybe dhikr uh, to other than Allah, and that was a dhikr just to Allah. And that's what the scholar said, right? The scholar said that Yarhamuk Allah is like a type of human speech. It's like human to human speech. Yep. Whereas Alhamdulillah is like yani, human to Allah speech or dhikr. The problem is that even that's not a very strong point. Because even when you say it's human to human speech, I'll say, I'll tell you straight, if it was me, if I, yani, uh, this is why I think this point is weak and I, and I believe that I'm right. If I was not getting rewarded for Yarahamakallah, I would never ever say it in my life. I would say bless you all the time. Much easier. Yeah. And I'd get much less looks. And I'd get so much Yani women that would like me when I would go to work, Yani. And so when they sneeze and I'm you know saying, Yeah, Dikumullah Slabalukum Yani and they're like, What does that mean? And I'm like, Yani, may Allah guide you and rectify your affairs. <laughs> She's like, What? You know what I'm saying? Huh? It's easier for me to say bless you. Oh, khalas. Brownie points and everything's cool. So the reason I say it is because it's dhikr. Because the Prophet ﷺ said, when the non-Muslim sneezes and say, يحتبون سبالكم. When the Muslim says, Alhamdulillah, and you, when he says, Alhamdulillah, then you say, Yarhamukallah, and then he says back to you, يحتبون سبالكم. Yani this is, um, this, is, this is dhikr. But you're right. It's a different type of dhikr. It's human to human talk versus human to Allah talk. And that's why the scholars made a difference between the two. That's why there is, there, there is no scholars I know, and I think there are some, but I just don't know, that allow Yarahamukallah in the prayer. Because the hadith is very clear. A hadith of, uh, 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 I forgot his name, subhanAllah. Hadith Sahih Muslim, isn't it? When he said Yarahamukallah. <laughs> you know, I think Muawiyah ibn Muawiyah man. Muawiyah, subhanAllah. Anyway, forget the hadith, but also Sheikh Uthameen, he goes, there's also a point. He goes, anyway, forget this. He goes, even Ibn Taymiyyah's point that that is allowed and it can be applied to the adhan, he goes, even that, there's a difference. He goes, look, here's a difference. He goes, in the bayin wa farq. If the person who uh, sneezes says, alhamdulillah, that's something very, very simple, very small, and the word alhamdulillah is like from the part of the prayer itself, yani, like right in. I mean, and he says, it does not la yushghilu kathiran and adhkar salah. It doesn't take up his time, make him busy from the adhkar of the salah. Unlike yani, copying the mu'adhin, that's a full yani, that's a full behavior. You're in salah, yani, and the guy is giving it, especially if he's the guy at Makkah, yani, he's going to take 10 minutes, right? That means that you're going to be there for 10 minutes as well. In that fact, you're waiting for this guy thinking, all right, you're going to let me recite or what? You're going to be following him. It's a big thing. It's a whole big, massive difference. He goes that maybe this will happen whilst he's in the middle of Fatiha. And he will lose the condition of muwala, continuity. And it's not permissible, for example... To say and then take a five minute break and then say This is not Fatiha anymore. Even though the reason that you took a break, which is to respond to the Mu'addin, is a legitimate one. Your Fatiha is broken into two separate parts. You'd have to start again the Fatiha anyway. And so he's, he, he goes, he goes, this is the the, the this is Farajih and Musalli La Mu'addin al So he goes, as far as I'm concerned, the strongest opinion with me is that the one 
who is a, who is praying, he does not yani, repeat after the mu'adhin, and also the one who is on the toilet, one who is on the toilet. However, he, Sheikh Uthameen asks, do they make it up afterwards? So once you now finish your prayer or finish your toilet, do you then say it or not? That, and Sheikh Uthameen says, the madhab is well known in this matter, that they do make it up, they ask people to make it up, even if, even if it's a sunnah, but they say make it up. He goes, he goes, as far as I'm concerned, probably, no, no, sorry. Um, he, and the reason they do that is because the He goes, and that's the reason they make it up is because the reason to do it was found during the time that it was forbidden for him to do it. The reason to do it was found during the time that it was forbidden for him to do it. So it was there, it was legitimate, and that's why they make it up. فَإِذَا زَالَ الْمَانِعِ اِرْفَفَعَ وَقَضَى مَا فَاتَهُ وَفِي النَّفْسِ مِنْ هَذَا شَيْءٍ خُصُوصًا إِذَا طَالَ الْفَصْلُ وَاللَّهُ أَعْلَمُ And Shaykh Uthameen goes, to be honest, I'm not feeling this. Especially if there's been a big gap. So Shaykh Uthameen's position is clear. He doesn't believe that it should be made up. The Madhab is saying, no, the reason was there, you can make up afterwards. I have to say I agree with Shaykh Uthameen. I agree with Shaykh Uthameen because I believe that this... Um, and, and, and if you follow his thread, it will then carry on into the next section as well. Meaning that how to say La hawla wa la quwwata illa billah. Because we haven't covered that today and it's late, so I'm going to stop, okay? But la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah, the scholars differed over it. Yani, should you say that? Should you say, Hayala salah la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah? Should you say, Hayala salah la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah? Should you just say, La hawla wa la quwwata illa billah? Three positions of the three scholars, scholarly groups. And the one that you choose will be how you see the adhan, like Sheikh Uthameen is indicating here. Yani, if there's been a long gap, what am I responding to? You know what I'm saying? It's like an artificial response. This is the point he's trying to make. It's like, I think it's a strong one. But anyway, the madhab is that afterwards you do make it up, but Sheikh Uthameen says, you do not make it up. Okay. Right. We'll take some questions. Yes, I have the boss. I don't get it. The, the people who say it's okay to repeat it when you are praying. Yeah. When you say... Um, when Shabbat, and that's Ibn Taymiyyah. Yeah. yeah. Yep. When Shabbat Taymiyyah says uh, he's not happy with that because of like, the big gap. Does it mean that he starts praying, the Adhan comes on, then you literally stop, you stop praying? Well, you'd have to. to, to you'd have to stop. What, what is praying? Praying is speaking, isn't it? Yeah, but I mean, I mean you, could, you could pray... And when um, the Muaddin um, uh, finishes a sentence, then... You could. You could. And then you could pray. And you could. Then... But what has it done to your prayer? It's like a major disruption, isn't it? Yes. You're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that's like, you know, like you hear it and then you stop. And then, you know, while he's kind of, you know, getting his breath back, you read another ayah or two but, of your surah. It's just to understand the position of uh, Ibn Taymiyyah, what, what he... Yeah, Ibn Taymiyyah is basically saying, look, dhikr is allowed. He doesn't care whether it disrupts the prayer or not because it's part of the prayer as far as he's concerned. So stop and repeat. Stop and then repeating that and this, that's all dhikr and the reason is there. Just like you say, alhamdulillah, that interrupts your fatiha as well. Did that cause a problem? No, it didn't. So why he causing it? This is his argument. Shaykh al is saying, look, look, you can't compare between the statement, alhamdulillah, yeah, and... Uh, you know, Ashadu Allah ilaha illallah, Ashadu Anna Muhammad Rasulullah. Just a second question. Um, we know about being in the toilets, uh, Salah. What about intercourse? Um, 
Because surely in, when you're in a Muslim country in Jannah, Yeah, did we not cover that? No. In Jannah, but no. I need to go and revise that. Because I, I, I remember that. I, I, I remember that. No? No. We, About I, what can be said in the state of Janaba. I think we did the reading of the Quran, but not like uh, Zikr. Mm. I mean, I can just give you my general answer from the class, but I think it would be good for us to actually uh, answer it properly. Uh, meaning that I go and we get the notes and we get it out clearly and, and, and understand it. But in principle, no. In principle, no. But I don't want to make that any the final position because we did mention that there are certain uh, azkar which are permissible during intercourse, during um, uh, the state of Janaba as well. It's not like the Quran, etc., etc. So there's a lot of actual fiqh behind even that as well. Online, yeah. Um, I recently saw a class performance done at an Islamic school with students doing the idham in sign language with the idham playing in the background. I have to admit it felt like it was a strange thing to do, being that the purpose of the idham is to notify the people for, that the time for Salah has entered. And there would be no point in doing it in sign language. Is this something permissible? But, but the performance was a performance, right? I don't know the ins and outs. Yeah, I mean, if it's a performance, it's permissible. It's, it's, some, it's like, it's something you need to show to people, whatever. Mm. It's a one of his children. There's lots of laxity when it comes to performance, reason, non-Muslims, school, children. There's a lot of laxity. But the deeper question is, is that, is it permissible to do the adhan in sign language to those who are deaf? And answer, it is permissible, yeah. It is permissible. No doubt about that. What do the deaf people do? Do whatever they can, whatever is within their ability. If they're not dumb as well, they have the ability to speak. Is dumb PC, by the way? Where's our Shazad, man? He's not here, that's the problem. Uh, is it, is it definitely, yeah? So what do they say? Mentally challenged. Learning huh? disability. Dumb is very... No, no, because we're not talking about the general meaning, dumb meaning thick. I know. I mean, dumb as in being... Unable to speak so because, mute, huh? Mute, mute. Is it mute? mute yeah, Deaf and mute, is that what you were saying? Mm-hmm. Right, okay. Even subhanAllah saying it sounds strange to be honest. Sah? Huh? No, that's the, that's, that's, that's the, yani, us and our Quran translations, but the, yani, I need to look into that. The one time we need Dr. Shazad and he goes on holiday, honestly. He is our Mr. PC. <laughs> um, yeah, so, yeah, what was that? Did you ask something? Did yeah, I say? Yeah. Deaf people. Yeah. What they, to the best of their ability. Yeah, to the best of So if they can speak, then they repeat. If they know even what they're saying. And if not, then they acknowledge just the adhan, get ready for salah. Because it has an indicating purpose, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you have to, like, you have to say it straight after each word. For example, say, like... In principle, Yes. The actual definition, the, the translation of the hadith um, indicates, the translation of the hadith indicates that it is to be followed. And so to us to initiate the delay would be going against the hadith. Like, say if you, you walked into the masjid and you just caught like, the end of the should you, like, should you repeat? Catch up then the first parts. Yeah, no, I think, you should, I think you should only say what you have heard. I think so. I think so. I'm the one who's best. 
Yeah, whatever you hear. Yeah. Yes. Correct, correct. You, you, uh, we'll cover that, but yes. When you hear as salatu khayrun min an you also say as salatu khayrun min an Yes, come on, online, bro. Um, this is to do with the Fajr starting prayer time. So because the hour is going forward, someone's asking, do we basically say we go one and a half hour backwards um, from sunrise? No, 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 don't confuse me. I'm a I'm basic guy, you know. <laughs> I'm a basic guy. Just, 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 just use the ending. Now we're not in crazy summer times. Uh, using any of the computerized methods and angles of 15, 17, 19 are all giving normal kind of answers of 1 hour 40, 1 hour 45, 1 hour 50, 1 and a half hours. So I always say that an hour, uh, an hour before the Salah is never ever going to put you in risk at any time of the year. And in winter, an hour and a half is not going to put you in risk. But generally an hour before sunrise is when, you know, whatever time sunrise is going to be on Sunday. What's it today? 6.10 or something? 6.03? So it's going to be 7.03, isn't it? No. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> glad to know um, I'm not the only one. It's going to be at 7 o'clock, isn't it? So yeah, Fajr should start around, you know, quarter to 6, 6 o'clock, yeah, and for them, person waking up, pray, praying the masjid, of course, better. Yeah. Yeah. This, this may be really obvious, but would you recommend that people have these receivers in their homes to, to, to get the event? Um, I, I mean, it's certainly an investment for Barakah. If, you, if, you, if you're getting it and it's live and it's an opportunity for you to hear it, then yeah. But how well it works and how good it is, etc., I don't know. But yeah, I do. Safa? Um, you take so long, Qasim. No. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, about the event class they did um, last week, you know, a lot of times we've noticed in the university messages, we give the event. Start time, you mean? You give like half hour after the start time because no one's there. No one's there. Yeah. That's right. Absolutely, yes. Absolutely. Because, because the adhan itself is not to indicate necessarily the indication of the prayer time starting. It's there to indicate the actual prayer itself. Now, if we take that, when is the best time to indicate that? At the beginning of the prayer time. Yeah, but if that's not possible because the time has moved on, then it goes back to its original principle, which is the prayer itself. That makes sense, yeah? Just a quick one. Yeah. No, 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 and that's a huge issue which we'll come to later, not now. Yeah, yeah, and that's why I said, yeah. No, 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 no. I'm not, not going to answer that. <laughs> Clever boy, I know. Mashallah. Yeah. No, we said that it's not obligatory to be in wudu. It's sunnah to have wudu. Done. Done, everybody. Jazakumullah khair. Next week, Maghrib is going to be 7.45. Okay, taqriban. We'll start the lesson after 25 minutes, which will be 10 past 8. BST? Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. yes. It will be BST 8.10 p.m. BST, which is 7.10 p.m. GMT. <laughs> Something like that. Just 
BST it. Just look on. Just look on the portal. It will be there. Next couple of days, the timetable will be up. Zakamullah khair, everybody. Thank you very much for attending, watching, listening, coming. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika shahadu wa la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka Allahumma wa atubu ilayk. Anyone from Abu Salam? Yes, we are. If you're in London, then make sure that. I, I, mean, I think it's sold out now anyway, unless you are able to purchase a ticket tonight. But London, no doubt, Yasa Qadi. Uh, Edmonton Masjid, at least, is a free event, and they've got capacity for, I think, a couple of thousand. And so pop down on the Friday. You might not be able to get a chance to get the ticket for the weekend, but if you're in London or surrounding areas, then come down. Ahlan wa sahlan. I'll be there, inshallah. Subhanakallahumma bihamdik shadu wa la ilaha wa sallam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.